Welcome to the Other Half of Church podcast, a podcast at the intersection of brain science, theology, and church life. With Michael Hendricks and Jim Wilder, we explore the brain God has given us and what we need for a healthy, transformational community of faith. Welcome to another special episode of the Other Half of Church podcast. I'm here today with Michael Hendricks and our special guest, Charles Causey. And we are so excited to have Charles. He just wrote a brand new book for Moody Publishers that's called Candor. And it is about how to have tough conversations and to speak the truth in love. And it is about so much more than that. And so I would like to have introduce Charles to you. And Charles, can you introduce yourself um, and why you wrote the book? Oh, absolutely. And first off, just thanks so much for having me on this show. I think so much of uh, the the book and the podcast. So thank you so much. Um, my name is Charles Causey. I'm a, I'm a military chaplain. I have been for 30 years. And before that, I was a church planter and a pastor. And I, um, so I've been in ministry pretty much ever since college. Uh, I graduated in 1990, which is where I was able, fortunate enough to meet uh, Michael Hendricks, one of the co-authors. Um, but anyway, I am, I'm married 27 years to my wife, Lori. We have four grown children, and I'm currently stationed in Honolulu, Hawaii. And sort of as a hobby, something I do on the side from my job as being a military chaplain, which sometimes is pretty demanding. But mm-hmm. uh, I've always enjoyed uh, writing as, as kind of a hobby, but also just to contribute uh, to, you know, the Christian book market. Uh, this is my seventh book, and I'm just thrilled to be able to write a book about candor. Mm-hmm. And Michael, how did you meet Charles? Well, Charles and I actually went to college together here in in Boulder, Colorado, the University of Colorado. Um, And for those of you that have read The Other Half of Church, I talk about that transformational community I had at that age. I'd become a Christian, you know, around age 19 and then immediately got involved in this group. And it was just so life-changing and deeply connected. And uh, and a lot of those people are my long-term, current long-term friends, almost like family, I would say. And, uh, and Charles was part of that, uh, that family. As a matter of fact, there was another friend of ours named Todd who was here visiting. And I think Charles, I don't know if you're still living with him, but you were living with him for a while uh, and they were in college. I know that friend and it's, it's kind of like that. Like we even, when we're in other States, we go and stay in each other's houses, you know, and it's <laughs> almost like we never, you know, we're just picking back up where we, where we left off when we left college. Absolutely. Great relationships. And it, it's just like Michael says, it's like you've never left off and you can maybe not see somebody for three, four five years. And then you just pick it right back up and you're immediately best friends again. And that's what's so special about these relationships. That's amazing. And I had the honor of reading an early version of your book, Charles Candor. And it was just so interesting as I was reading it, I was pulling together so many threads from Michael's book, The Other Half of Church. There was one quote in particular where I saw that connection so clearly. You wrote that family dynamics can be improved, friendships can grow, and organizations from startups to behemoth tech companies can thrive by growing in the critical area of candor. Now, in The Other Half of Church, Michael talks about the ingredients of healthy soil that help people grow, and that last ingredient is healthy correction. 
And it sounds very similar to what you were talking about with candor. Do you do you see that same connection between healthy correction in a community and candor? Oh, I do. Um, the the importance about candor is part. It partly goes back to the definition. It's uh, the Latin word candere. It, it it comes from you know meaning a candle basically is one of the translations for this word and it's putting light on a subject. But I think, especially in the Christian community, if there's ever, uh, you know, dishonesty or darkness or not being in communication with people, all of a sudden there starts to be real problems, which is what I think Michael's book is about. And I think that the more candor I've had commanders that have told me, Kazi, you owe me candor. Of course, then I speak candor to them and then they get mad at me. <laughs> like, don't ever, I've had people say, don't ever say that again, or I can impact your career if you act like that. And I was like, well, you told me that you wanted candor, you know, but um, yeah. But so the important thing is, you know, as I bring out the four keys that I have in the book, and it's all based mm-hmm. on Ephesians chapter four verses. It just seems like Paul is so repetitive there in verse 15 and verse 25 and verse 29. He says, speak the truth, speak the truth in love at the right time to give grace to those who hear. So I have my keys, you know, speak the truth in love for um, at the right time for the benefit of others. And I think you can't go wrong there, but I, I think it's also a great framework for dealing with difficult people and hard conversations as well. Yeah. Speaking that unspoken truth in love when needed to the benefit of others. It's, it's like a, a lost or difficult skill that, that we seem to have a hard time with, but I think it's, it is related to that soil that Michael has been talking about where you need to have that joy, hesed, and all the different ingredients of soil to make a good reception of candor. Michael, how do you see candor as an ingredient to healthy soil? Well, candor really can be an expression of love. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when we, when we need to have candor with someone, it's because we're, we're seeing something in them that they probably don't see in themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's just like, you know, this isn't pretty to say, if you have something hanging out your nose, you can't tell it's there unless a friend, either a friend tells you or you go to a mirror. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, from the way God designed our brains, we don't really have any mechanism to be able to look at our own identity very clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God has actually used the mirror, which for us is the face of other people, um, to mirror who we are and what kind of people we are. And also then the candors come comes when like Charles sees something in me and he thinks, you know, that's not Michael. I think, yeah, I think he forgot who he was there. And just to even come and tell me that, that takes a, a certain amount of, of courage. And so candor, I think, goes very hand in hand with courage, but it also has to be surrounded by love. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote from Candor again, where Charles wrote, the relationship Candor has with love is vital. Yet some cultures have a particularly hard time accepting Candor in the context of their relationships. Charles, what do you think it is? What culture has a hard time accepting Candor? Well, I, you know, I'm in the Pacific Ocean now and going all over uh, to different uh islands and meeting different groups of people. And, but I, I was thinking, you know, in sometimes the Asian culture, there's a, there's a tendency to be very polite and respectful and not to mm-hmm. say things that are insulting 
or would be damaging or damage your reputation. And I know it's like that in other cultures too. I'm just, I, that was the first one that came to mind where I think sometimes, you know, in the U.S. or maybe Western U.S., you know, where people are like, hey, fella, you got, you know, something going on here, you know, it's, it's a little more accepted. Uh, but I think it's important. And like Michael says, it is in, in olden days, candor was seen more as a gift when you, when you study the word and how it was used mm-hmm. in different times, because you're, you're being honest with somebody, you're, you're helping them in their life. But now it's, you know, because of societal candor, which is disease, it's like bullying, prideful, pushiness is what people think with candor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people try to stay away from it, but I think we need more of it in the community so that we can develop that healthy soil with other believers. Yeah. I was just thinking about like my experience with people who speak their minds (laughs) so often. It's, it's not the type of candor that you describe in your book. It's, it's like a, I would describe it as like a loss of a filter. It's like their, their version of candor is just saying whatever comes to mind without regard for, sometimes accuracy, kindness, helpfulness. And it kind of goes back to what you're talking about with the four keys of candor, that it has to be in the right time and with love. But how do you, how do you develop a candor that has depth to it? That's more than just a knee jerk response of what I'm thinking about. Right. That's a great, uh, that's, it's a great question. It's, it's very important. And part of that goes back to the keys that when you're doing it, it you're not just the foghorn leghorn, you know, just kind of blasting out uh, truth fastballs to people when you think they need them. <laughs> um, yeah. You actually, when you do it with love and for the benefit of others, it forces you to take a strategic pause and say, okay, first of all, is this the right time to say this? You know, a lot of times, and one of the, I have 22 effective keys, uh, effective strategies for candor at the end of the book. And the first one is, you know, maybe doing it one-on-one if it's a sensitive matter. We're not going to score any points with our spouse if we, you know, call her out in public about something. And, you know, there's a time and place for everything. But I think taking that pause and saying, okay, am I, can I, can I say these words in love? Is this going to benefit the conversation? Is this going to help other people? Or is it just, for the benefit of me feeling better about myself, because when we, you know, when we try to be right at the expense of the relationship, then we're wrong because the relationship is ultimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes what we do is we, we err on one side or the other, either we blast it out too quickly without thinking or about, uh, without being slow to, you know, the, the James still encourages us to be, you know, slow to speak and, and very quick to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes when we're tempted to do that, it's good to take a breather and say, Hey, is my heart right? And is this the time? And am I even interpreting this right? Um, so long, long, I think it's wise to, to give it some time and take a breath, et cetera. Uh, but sometimes then we think, well, you know, the time has passed and I'll just let it go. It's not worth the hassle. And then that's mm-hmm. the case where actually you have a chance to really help another friend, um, you know, get some eyes on an area of their life that maybe they don't see. And a lot of times we fail to do it on that end. So we can kind of go off the rails on either side, go into the ditch on either side of this road. Yeah, you definitely can. And that's one of the things that I appreciated so much reading the book is going into it kind of had a feeling of like, I'm I'm worried that candor can cause damage here. 
Um, just thinking through like Proverbs, I think it's like Proverbs ten nineteen, where sin is not ended by, by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. And like that verse you mentioned, Michael, of how we should be quick, quick to listen and slow to speak. But candor isn't just speaking your mind. Charles, how how do you think people can practice staying on that dividing line between prudently holding your tongue and also speaking the truth in love? Again, another great question. I, I think it goes back to your own character. You know, are you are, mm. are you somebody that uh, feels comfortable in your skin? Do you know who you are? You know, have you had your your daily quiet time? You know that God's mm-hmm. on the throne. God loves you. God has totally satisfied uh, because of Christ with who you are. And, 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 and are you satisfied in yourself? Um, but I, I think that then you can kind of take a step back and say, okay, what is my brother or my sister? What is their best good? How, you know, mm-hmm. especially if they're not responding well to something or you see something like Michael was saying. Um, and I, I think that's how it's like, if we, if you're, you want to be a leader that's comfortable in your own skin, that can um, take some feedback. Part of giving candor is also receiving candor. You know, maybe mm-hmm. that's where you should start. Are, are you somebody that would receive criticisms? Well, somebody yeah. that, you know, r- solicits from people around you, um, things that, uh, you know, a question I have in the friendship chapter that's so important, I think, is if you could have another friend like me, but without one character trait, what would it be? Hmm. Um, and just having the, giving the freedom to somebody to, to share that with you and not again, getting upset, <laughs> you know, with whatever they share. I mean, that is such a <laughs> challenging question to ask somebody. Uh, but yeah, I think it is. I, I love that you focus on character. Um, it just makes such a profound difference with how it's used. I was, as I was reading the book, I was thinking um, about the the garden that's at my own house and how um, pruning shears are such a powerful tool to lop off the dead or dying parts of the different branches. But if I put that tool in the hands of my kids and said, go to town, I probably wouldn't have much left by the end of it. And so it's like this powerful tool that can be used for so much good, but then we also need it to be used appropriately and under those four keys that you talked about. Absolutely. You know, I had, here's an interesting story. It's not in the book, but, you know, we had, my wife and I had some people over for Sunday meal one time after Mm -hmm. church. And, you know, you're you're in this, this mode, you're entertaining. And then, so I give the, the prayer for the meal. And then my youngest son said, dad, how come you always pray longer when we have company? You know, <laughs> and it's like, thank you for that, son. I'm not going to argue. It's probably truthful, but it's, I, I maybe question your timing on when you would ask me that question. You know, uh huh. Um, so you know, candor has different things, but I want to go back to one thing that you know Michael said about it. You're doing this in love to help other people, and at the end of my my chapter on friendship, it's it, it talks about the power of praise and encouragement where a lot of times, you know, people around us are, they're struggling with, you know, their, their elder parents or with kids or, you know, maybe just barely making it. And part of candor is seeing the good and saying that and saying it often, you know, speak up with praise as often as possible. Just because you said something nice one day doesn't mean you can say something nice the next day. And that's part of debunking one of the myths of candor is that it's always Mm -hmm. corrective. It's not always corrective. You can have candor and speak positive things and encourage other people. 
Yeah, I like that because that reminds me of, you know, from healthy correction is really just more of a reminder of who we really are. Hmm. And, you know, we, when I see something, it's easy to say, to think that the negative attribute is really who that person is and just dismissing them. But really from God's point of view, um, we've forgotten who we really are and, and we just need to be reminded. And reminder is a much more positive word. But the thing is, we don't need to have a problem to remind us who we are without without an issue even. We can, if we're constantly reminding each other who we are as followers of Jesus, apart from any kind of conflict, then then when one of us kind of go forgets who we are and stops acting like ourselves, it's not the shock because we've been we've been speaking this to them. You know, if it's done in our community, we've been speaking this to each other um, mm. for let's say hundreds of times, and so it, it becomes almost a natural thing since we've we've been doing this already as a community. So when we talk about candor in the context of a ministry or of a church, Charles, what do you think are some of the the challenges and the opportunities of speaking with candor in a ministry setting? Uh, great question again. Um, and the opportunities are what we were just talking about. Um, reminding others of who they are in Christ, encouraging mm-hmm. our brothers and sisters, um, speaking the unspoken truth. Uh, perhaps there's, there's things going on in the church that, um, we're, we're not aware of, or, you know, not everybody has the information and just saying, well, this is the reality of the situation. Um, the challenges are when, you know, you're in a board meeting, say, and you're, you're maybe afraid to speak up because you're brand new or you're not mm-hmm. sure you heard everything correctly, or you have a pastor who has a lot of influence and he's wanting mm-hmm. to go a certain direction. And maybe you're like on the staff, it's just your first year and, and you think that, no, this is a bad direct. Why are we doing this? I, you know, I would never do this, but then you end up, the challenge there is, do you speak up? How do you speak up? You know, do you yeah. do it one-on-one? I, I, the, the first chapter talks about a, a contentious board meeting I was in and, you know, the, yeah. the, the gnawing was, should I have done it one-on-one beforehand? Should I do it in the group? But I felt like because so many decisions were made in a group setting, and blatant to everybody, I needed to address it in a group setting. I believe it's not only in churches, but in the business world. You know, Jack Welch has a quote. He says, the biggest dirty little secret in organizations and businesses all across the world is a lack of candor in every mm. continent and every culture. Mm. And um, and so it's trying to trying to fight the forces. And Michael, I think you have a chapter in your book about this, right? About the, you know, being nice is, can be the enemy of, uh, of some other things. Right. I think we can confuse the word nice with the, with the, with the Christian virtue of being gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice. I think we're just trying to, you know, we're, we're walking on eggshells and trying not to ruffle anybody's feather and try to guess what they, they, they want to hear and what they don't want to hear. Whereas gentle means we're, st- we can still be, have, be quite frank and speak with candor, but we're not intentionally impl- amplifying the emotional level level to kind of blow the person away. Instead, we're being very careful with the way we say, and we're giving, you know, healthy pauses. And we're also not using um, language that um, intentionally kind of gives them an adrenaline rush and, and cause it's more like throwing a log on a fire versus gentle gentleness actually doesn't back away from candor. It's just doing it in a way that's very respectful of the other person, knowing that this can be difficult for them. Oh yeah, that's, that's great. I, it makes me think. So in the, I have a chapter on dealing with difficult people 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things I strongly say is stay away from emotional outbursts, you know, because those will make you maybe feel good or get, but it's not going to help the situation. Also stay away from name calling. Even if the person <laughs> you know, is being a jerk, you don't need to say, Hey, you're being a jerk right now. If you could just instead saying things like, Hey, I'm just curious. Do you, do you understand how you're making people feel in this room right now? Yeah. I think asking questions is very wise in a lot of situations. And, you know, if they have a, an ounce of, of self-knowledge, they'll, they'll self-correct, they'll auto-correct from that. Charles, I really appreciated the the chapter on difficult people. <laughs> and in that chapter, you talked about four different types of difficult people. Are you able to, to kind of recall those four different types and explain what they are? Oh, yes, I, I, I can. So <laughs> first of all, you know, we talked about Foghorn Leghorn. And uh, okay. so the, the first one is a rooster. I don't know. Is Foghorn Leghorn a rooster? I think that's what he was. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the roosters. And then you also have the the wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the termites. And it's obvious what the termites are. You know, there's are people working behind the scenes, gossiping, doing things yeah. in secret. Um, the wolves are the, you know, they're put in, they're leaders who are put in a position of leadership, but they're very difficult. Uh, and I use the analogy of the steward of Gondor in the Lord of the Rings. I mean, he's one of the most fascinating characters there, but he was in a position of authority and power and he didn't use it for good. He, you know, could have prepared his army, but he didn't. Uh, Sometimes the wrong people are put into highly influential positions of leadership. And it's really unfortunate when that happens. And then the last one is the curmudgeons and they're, you know, wet blankets, just folks that are there to guard the sacred trust of whatever they think was important or the generation that it needed to stay, you know, and um, we love them and they're good people and they're probably helping the church in a lot of ways, but they can be a little overbearing sometimes when you're trying to, you know, change, just change the Titanic a little direction, you know, at a time. And uh, those people can really slow you down. But those are the four types that I have in there. Does your approach to talking with those people change kind of when you've identified which type they are, or do you have the same approach to each one? No, it, it's, it's pretty much all the same approach. And okay. because when you, when you're doing the steps, when you speak the truth with love um, at the right time for the benefit of others, that doesn't change. Hmm. Um, even with, with difficult people, I just, what I kind of draw on in the chapter is, we have to guard our heart more. We have to be more patient. We really have to look at the, should I hit them one-on-one first? Because I know that in my own, my words are going to sound hard and heavy because I have a lot of emotions wrapped up. My heart's going to be beating if I say anything to them. Uh, because it's, it, it, you know, if you feel like somebody's damaging a group or body or another person, then you can't help but have your feelings involved in that. Mm-hmm. So it's really, what I talk about in the book is just, you know, having patience, avoid name calling, avoid, you know, emotional declarations, but using the same keys, using the same tools uh, and getting to the heart of the matter and trying to help them see. So asking questions, you, do you, do you see what you're doing right now? Do you, instead of calling them, you know, you're very prideful. You, you ask something like, is this something a humble person would present? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this something a, a man or woman of integrity and character? Would they want to go down this road? You know, let them try to figure that out. Like Michael said, I think asking questions is a better solution. For those relationships, do you eventually kind of see the need to distance yourself from difficult people? Or do you think that 
you can stay close to reform and to help them? Or how do you kind of engage with difficult people in your community? Wow. Uh, I, I think that the closer, the better. If you can, you know, with a healthy dose of candor, Mm-hmm. You know, if you can, if you can deepen those friendships and build trust, because I, I feel like sometimes with difficult people, trust is lost. Yeah. And if you can rebuild trust, that's better. I've been in work situations where I haven't liked the person that was my boss or supervisor, but I was forced for like two years or three years to deal with them in the military. Yeah. And I realized that it's really for my own good. A lot of times, you know, the Lord is doing a lot in my heart. He's teaching me humility. Uh, how to be have a teachable spirit. And I found that I developed a certain love for that supervisor that I really had a strong reaction against, you know, early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key is not to let error go by where you feel compelled from the Lord that you need to say something. You know, if mm-hmm. you can have that candor with somebody. Now, if somebody shuts down candor and doesn't want open communication and they just want to go in the right, then I think you need to separate, you need to have healthy boundaries, separate, you know, yourself. If they're not they also need to be a little bit teachable and it's just kind of trusting the spirit in your life to tell you, you know, is this person, can you work with them even though they're hard or not? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And Michael, how would you answer that question? Oh yeah. That's, that's kind of the tricky question, isn't it? And when, when you have that kind of a situation, um, you know, first thing we do, you know, I would think is, is kind of sit in Jesus's presence and say, have you put me in this situation, uh, you know, such as a time for this, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's some difficult conversations that God wants us to have, and there's others that he wants other people to have. Um, and, and do I have the emotional capacity to stay myself in the middle of it? Or is it just so big that I will, you know, I'll kind of fall apart in the middle of it. Hmm. And so we have to be aware, you know, it might be too much, too big, too fast for where I'm at right now myself. And, uh, and also, you know, how strong is my love for that person? Is there, how, how strong is our bond? Because the stronger that our love bond is, the stronger that I trust, you know, like Charles mentioned, um, the more I'm able to go into this realm and stay relational. But if our, if our bond is, you know, our friendship is fairly weak, um, you know, it's kind of like trying to build a house on a, on a wobbly foundation, a weak foundation. You know, the stronger that foundation can be, you know, and sometimes we have to spend some foundation building time first before you, we can speak with candor. And so it might be, you know, like Charles said, you know, if you're into a two and a half year stint working with this person, you might have to, mm-hmm. you know, take six months and just start building some basic friendship and trust and to the point where then the door becomes open. Mm. That's excellent. Yep. I agree. So then the last quote that I wanted to talk about, Charles, from Candor is uh, you said that fear is candor enemy number one and must be eradicated. What is the relationship to fear and a lack of candor? Yes. Uh, well, uh, the, the real obvious one is a fear of speaking up, a fear uh, like a lack of confidence or a fear that something is going to be – uh, that I'm going to be exposed, that people are going to know the real me, that I'm mm-hmm. going to be vulnerable, that I'm going to say the wrong thing, that I'm going to hurt somebody's mm-hmm. feelings, um, that I'm going to put somebody in a tough spot, that I'm going to look like an idiot. You know, I can just keep going on. There's yeah. So those kind of fears. There's also candor out of fear. A lot of, I, I find that with some people, they have 
kind of unhealthy candor, but it's, it, it's, it's from this deep sense of, of who they are, where they've experienced loss and there's bitterness and frustration there. So then mm-hmm. they just, they use it as a way to kind of tell other people their problems and, you know, boss people. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. They kind of, it's almost like they have candor, too much candor, societal candor. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really when you peel it back, it's it's almost on a fear. Like they they have a fear of losing the relationship, but they don't go about it mm-hmm. the right way. And the things that they do actually ends up helping them lose the relationship. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, they make it worse because they they keep talking and and saying the wrong thing. Um, but yeah, I I definitely think fear is the biggest one. And so you know, how do you how do you overcome that? And there's there's different ways. You know, building up confidence, and that's that's why I love Michael's book. Um, it, it gets just to the, to the heart of the matter with your own personal life and then Christian community and relating like to your spouse, sitting knee to knee and looking each other in the eyes and, and seeing each other's face and, and, and talking. And that's, that's building bridges. That's, that's love. That's, you know, connecting human beings as compared to tearing down and, and causing division. And I think we're here on planet earth to, to help unite people and help people and to love people. Mm-hmm. Um, not the opposite. And I know you guys feel the same way too, but um, mm-hmm. fear, fear is just, it, it's a disease and it's got to be conquered. And some people are just too intimidated to ever say anything. Michael, what do you think happens to the, this relational soil when fear is a, powerful ingredient. I believe that, you know, in our discipleship as, as followers of Jesus, one of the goals we have, this is one of the ones we don't hear too much as far as discipleship is, is you know, in spiritual disciplines, et cetera, is the absolute elimination of fear as a long-term motivation. Mm-hmm. Fear is a very good short-term motivation. And I think that's why God created it that way. It's good for us to jump out of the way of a snake or of an oncoming car swerving onto the sidewalk. That's what fear was created for and the hormones and everything that give us instant energy. And, but when we when we live out and are motivated by fear on a long-term basis, it's actually almost toxic. You know, the, the, the having those kind of, you know, hormones pumped into our bloodstream when we're really, you know, it, it can be almost like we, we get addicted to that, that jibe. And, and there's really two motivation circuits in our brain. One of them is, is love and our loving identity. And then one of them is fear. Mm-hmm. And so one, even one of our goals of discipleship is to convert any kind of fear bonding we have to people to love bonding and, and any kind of a fearful motivation we have, which all of us have some fearful motivation. You know, even when I was writing the other half of church, I would think, you know, what if this flops or what if I write a lousy book or what if I can't do this? Those are all um, long-term fear things. But every time those would pop up, I would work on it in our community because we kind of have that agreement between us mm-hmm. and we take it to Jesus and say, why would I be afraid of this? What am I not what am I not thinking? How am I not thinking correctly about you and someone or what past experiences in my childhood are, are being um, triggered here? And I'm kind of going back into an, a previous reaction and then would clean that stuff up. And, uh, and, and like, like Charles says, I don't know of any real healthy use of candor if it's being motivated by fear, it's just not going to come out right. Well, I'm so grateful for the conversation that we were able to have today. And if anybody's listening to this, and if you have read The Other Half of Church, I think that you will very much enjoy and be challenged and encouraged by Charles Causey's book, Candor. Reading it myself, I was very challenged to be able to use my voice to speak the truth in love at the right time. 
Um, I think personally, I probably fall more on the the spot of holding back and waiting too long. And Charles did a great job of pushing me to to speak more clearly, more forcefully for what I know to be true. Charles, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We will talk to you again later. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Other Half of Church podcast, a podcast at the intersection of brain science, theology, and church life. To learn more about the book by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks, visit theotherhalfofchurch.com.